0: Glad to see everybody this morning. Um, I talked to some of our folks that have been out, and they said to say hello to you, and uh, they're on the mend. So um, with the uh, uh, folks, there he comes, all right. With uh, some of the folks with COVID and everything that have been out, so they said hello to you and so forth. So they uh, wish they could be here, but they understand why they're not. So. All right, Romans chapter 5, if you will, and we'll get rolling here. And uh, we're going we're gonna to go back into verse number 9 and 10 and uh, kind of clean, clean up these verses a little bit. Uh, we'll la- just start reading in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And again, I want to go back up in verse 9 and 10, kind of clean some things up, in looking at verse 11. Because what happens in verse 11 is a great argument starts between the Bible critics about that word atonement. And they said it should never have been translated reconciled. It should be translated, I mean atonement, it should be reconciled. The problem is, is those people have no idea what the passage is talking about. Okay? They just want to be a critic. Because the translators know how to translate that word reconciled. It's there in verse number 10. For if when we were enemies we were, what? Reconciled. Same word. And then atonement is the same Greek word in verse 11. and they But see, when you go back in the Old Testament, Leviticus 16, I believe it is, you understand that atonement and reconcile are the, can be used interchangeably. They're the same thing. So, you know, get off the back of the King James translators. They know more about your English than you do. By the way, they know more about Greek than you do. And Latin and Hebrew and all the other languages. So, just because, you know, you don't... It's interesting when you hear people pontificate, like they know what they're talking about, and then you go look at the context of what we're talking about, you quickly understand that, wait a minute, atonement is the right word in the context. So we started in verse 6, and we were looking there. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. This was last last week. And we use these on a personal, individual basis when we talk to people about the gospel, about their justification. But yet I showed you that word "we." We're not. It's not really an intention on Paul's part to talk about the individual. Now it's we, the Gentiles. When the Gentiles, when you were without strength, when you were ungodly, when you were verse eight a sinner, while we were yet sinners. What the, the God. The Lord Jesus Christ did some things for you, and yes, legitimately you can use it on the individual scale, that's fine, but in the context, in the passage here, Paul is beginning to introduce dispensational Bible study to you. He's beginning to introduce right division. Again, we're in Romans 5, so we're new believers. We've just been justified. In, in, the, in, the, in the edification process. And what does he instantly do? Verse 6. We were. When, verse 6, for when we were. Past tense. In the past. What were we in the past? Without strength. We looked last time over to Ephesians 2. Without strength equals without Christ. You're a sinner. You're ungodly. You're, you're, you're not godly. Even when you try to do, you're not. Because you're not where? In Christ. Then in verse 9, he talks there much more than being, what? Now. Present tense. Right now. Now what are we? Justified by his blood. We shall be. Future tense. Saved from wrath through him. So you have this issue here of Paul introducing the concepts... To that young believer of the issues of right division, rightly dividing the word of truth. Dispensational Bible study. If, if you look there at verse 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul over there, he says, I am the due time testifier. Due time. I, I, you think about um, over this week, uh, Superman was on the TV. And Lois Lane is falling. And Superman swoops in and catches her just before she goes splat. You know, I think about Batman. Splat. Kaboom. Pow. Superman does what? In the nick of time. Just in that nick of time, what happens? He did something. When it's time to pour out his wrath, we're going to see this as we get on the board. Just as it's time to pour out his wrath... When you and I, when we were without strength, when we're sinners, when we're ungodly, verse 10 there, we're his enemy, we have no historical claim, we have no moral or spiritual claim, we have no legal claim. Right then he comes in and interrupts the program. If you look over at verse 12, 512, Now, this is just kind of all review to get everybody back in their thinking here. Notice verse number 12. Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's Adam, talking about Adam. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. There's a time period there, isn't there? Adam to Moses. See that? Again, dispensational Bible study. Then Moses, oh, uh, even over them which had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the, notice, figure of him that was to come. Who's the him that was to come? Who is that? There's Christ. So you go Genesis, Adam, Moses, there's Exodus. You go the whole new Te- Old Testament till you come to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts. Come on over down to verse 20. 520. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Why does the law show up? What's it designed to do? To show the sin, to show the offense, to show the, the uh, violations. But when where sin abounded, what happened? Grace. There's Paul and the Apostle Paul. So When you come down through this, again, Paul is just introducing the concept. Notice there's not a great a lot of details. Those details are going to come later in in subsequent uh, scriptures and subsequent epistles. And he's just laying out what, what he calls in Ephesians 2, time past, but now ages to come. And he's just laying out that past, present, and future. We were... I was talking a couple weeks ago second hour next hour about the simplicity that's in Christ. You know, and I was talking with Mark this week if it's complicated, it's a lie. If you think about when somebody says, well, so and so and it's very complicated, then what are they doing to you? They're really lying to you. You know, because they make it complicated so then you need who? You need them, don't you? It's really not complicated. simplistic past, present, and future. So when you come now into verse 9 and 10, notice verse 9. Much more than. We started in verse 1. We have those benefits of justification. Now we have a much more doctrine. Now we're going to come up. You're a babe in Christ, and he's going to give you the next set of information here that you can get into your thing. Much more than being now justified by His blood, because we're justified, because we are in Christ, what's going to happen to us? We shall be saved from the wrath through Him. And again, when we talk about that issue of the wrath, what wrath would that be? That's the question. Well, we know it's not daily, day-to-day stuff because we just talked about tribulation doing what? Working patience and patience experience and experience hope. There's the daily life stuff, the tribulations of the moment. We know that God's not against us because the first thing he tells us that we have is peace with God. You go over there to uh, first uh, hold on here, 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. You know, so when you begin to kind of think this through, and we spend a lot of time talking about tribulation working. Because you have to have the divine viewpoint about what happens to you on a day-to-day basis. You know, this past week with Dad having COVID and being on you know in the hospital and stuff, that's a tribulation of the moment. That isn't God trying to correct anybody or get anybody. It's just what's going on at the moment. In a couple weeks, it'll be the flu season. Well, we're in the flu season, I guess. <laughs> it'll be an outbreak of the flu or... What was that that goofy bug they had? Uh, the hornet. The uh, what was that thing called? Murder hornet. You know. Boom. There's another one. You know. And next week it'll be the the killer humming hummingbirds. You know. It'll be because that's just how life goes, right? It just kind of rolls with you. First Corinthians ten verse thirteen. There is no temptation taken but such as is common to man. See things happen in life and they're what? They're common. You know. I like to use the illustration of you get the dashboard light that says your battery needs to be adjusted or replaced. You don't do it. and You go out and you go click, click, click. And the first thing our religious mind says, God's testing me. God's laughing at you in heaven, by the way, when you say that. Psalms 2, he laughs at him, <laughs> at, at man. You know, why? Because he's not testing you. What happened? The battery ran out and you just failed to do your maintenance duty. So go get a new battery, you know. <laughs> I, I when back we were talking back in '06. Uh, I was a real estate appraiser, and I did an appraisal for go back to Romans 5 for this guy, and he was a real estate agent, and his business had been booming, and he was uh, come to find out he's a believer, and he was uh, had all this man God's just blessing us and boom boom boom, and I'm like God ain't blessing you man, you're just in a hot real estate market right now. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. So in 08, when everything pop- popped, I ran into him again in 09. I said, hey, how's God blessing you now? He goes, oh, he's got us under the gun now, man. And I'm like, so you believe God's going to swing hot and cold on you? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I got a better idea for you. <laughs> how, about Roman, how about Romans 5, verse 1, where because you're justified, you have peace with God? I'd rather have that than... Which way is God swinging today, you know? Anyway, back to 5.9. So the question is, is what, what is the wrath here then that he's talking about? And you have a lot of different ideas about the wrath. You'll have it, well, it's the day of the Lord. And it's Satan's wrath. It's man's wrath. They go back into the book of Revelation and start manufacturing all these wraths. But do you notice that Paul doesn't say that? He doesn't say it's the time of Jacob's trouble. He doesn't say it's the day of the Lord. He just says what? Wrath. You see, there's a wrath on God's calendar that was ready to be poured out. And you've got to catch this because when we talk about atonement next week, a little bit today, in verse 11, the atonement is tied to the wrath. Okay? That's what's happening here. So when you think about wrath and what's going on here. Alright? You got this little thing that's going to move along here. Alright? We'll put Calvary here. Okay? When the Lord... Get rid of that. So, come over to Luke 13. Actually, you know what? We're going to kind of bounce this around here a little bit. Go get Daniel 9. Daniel chapter 9. So I try to stuff this so my hands are they're already blue, but Daniel chapter 9. When you talk about God's calendar, God, is a, God works on a timeline. He, he's not a God of disorganization. He's a God of order. He, 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 he does things, Paul tells us to do things decently and in order. Why? Because God works in order. So come back to Daniel 9. And in Daniel 9, Daniel gives a prophecy here of the timeline, the prophetic calendar that's going to happen here with the nation of Israel. Daniel 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression. So you see that thing about 70 weeks. Now, Genesis uh, 29 tells us that a week equals seven years, okay? So we're going to have 70 weeks of years, all right? Pretty simple. So seven times 70 is 490 Years. You with me? That's hard math, okay? Common core math. Here we come. Alright? Now read verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build what? Jerusalem. Don't that's that is Nehemiah chapter 2. Unto Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks. So we're going to have. A seven-week period, and then we're going to have 62 weeks. So this is going to do 69 weeks. You with me? Till Messiah is cut off. Isaiah chapter 53 says that the cutting off of the Messiah is what Calvary is all about. Now, if you understood this as a Jew and you're over here where the Lord is day, and you and you know we got the prophetic clock's been ticking, because it has been. You can real quickly understand that the Messiah is going to be crucified at how old? 33, priest, age. So you can back this thing up and say, you know what? He's going to be born back over here. He's going to be... So you can can go to Luke 1 and you can figure this stuff out real quick when he's going to be born. That's why in Galatians 4, Paul says, uh, our our Lord was born uh, in due time when it pleased God. It's his timing. Okay? Okay? Verse twenty. I got to stay on topic, or we'll never get done. Verse twenty-five. Shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again. The wall, even in troublous time. And after threescore, verse twenty-six, and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Okay. So there's going to be, there's going to be. That's the cross. Then after that, there's going to be some verse uh, and the people of the prince. Verse twenty-six. That shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That is not A.D. seventy. I'm just get that out of your head right now. It's a bunch of malarkey. That's guys who don't understand. Those are people who one don't believe your King James Bible. They don't like it. They hate it. And two, they don't know what they don't dispensational Bible study anything. They just like to pick and choose what they want because it makes it sound good. All right, get that out of my chest. And there shall there shall. Destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And under the end of the war, desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, so there's going to be a time gap, and then there's going to be a week over here called the 70th week of Daniel that's going to result with the, we, we also call it the tribulation, all right? But that's the signing with the Antichrist. So, you've got 70 weeks here. You've got a timeline. That's my point. Okay? Now, come over to Luke chapter 13. When when God gives Daniel the timeline there, Daniel 9, all right? Daniel is sitting way back over here and he looks right across everything to all these weeks. Luke 13. In Luke 13, the Lord is going to give a parable here. Verse 6, he spake, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Now the parable is a great representation of the nation of Israel. The fig tree, there's the national life of Israel, and guess what? There ain't nothing on that fr- There's no fruit, Okay? And, and so what's he going to do? He says, then, then said he under the dresser of this vineyard, behold, these, these how many years? There's the Lord. For three years he's been working on them, right? Right? No fruit. What are we going to do at the end of verse 7? We're going to cut it down. We're going to pour out some wrath on it. We're going to go over there and just nail them. Verse 8, And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this what? Give me a year. Give me one more year. But keep reading. I shall dig about it and dung it. And, it, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Uh, the Lord's estimation, the Lord puts in an extension of a year here. Okay? And this is the Acts period. All right. Here's Acts 1 to 7. Here's Matthew to John. Here's the Old Testament. Nehemiah over. But look at how what he says there. I'm going to dig around it and I'm going to do what? I'm going to dung on I'm gonna, We're going to dump a bunch of manure on it. What an estimation of your people. Because he's talking about the nation of Israel that apostate nation out there. And he says, hey, I'm going to come around there and we're going to shovel some manure on this thing. You know, you you shovel manure on it and keep the heat in. It's supposed to grow and do all this stuff. We're going to do some things here. Now come over to Acts chapter 7. So from Acts 1 to Acts chapter 7, 8 really, is one year. But something is happening in Acts 7. You've got a gentleman by the name of Stephen, and he's full of the Holy Ghost. He comes down there. He's preaching to them. He's getting them. And in Acts 7, verse 55, verse 54, But when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Well, what did he say to them? He said verse 51 to them. "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You know what he just called them? He just told the, the leaders of Israel, you're nothing but a bunch of heathen. You're ungodly. You're sinners. You're apostates. You guys are on the same level as the Gentiles. Ooh. No wonder they went and gnashed on him with their teeth. Could you imagine chewing on somebody? I mean, that's not just yelling at them. They're, they're actually chewing on the guy. Verse 55, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfast into heaven and saw the glory of God, and what? Jesus doing what? He's standing. In chapter 2, he says, sit till I make your enemies your footstool. Now he's standing. Guess who's been made his footstool? The enemies. Now you go run the Old Testament scriptures, and when he stands, think about it, he looks up into heaven, sees the Lord standing, What's he do in script in prophecy? This is Stephen. Standing in prophecy is the Lord coming back and doing what? Pouring out his wrath. It's time to come back and do the wrath. It's time for that 70th week to happen. We're on the timeline, right? Okay. But what happened in Acts 9? on the road to Damascus? So in Acts 9, and the Lord's standing, but in rather than coming back, he reaches down to Paul, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and introduces grace, introduces the dispensation of grace, introduces, the mystery program, he introduces some things, doesn't he? says, instead of pouring out my wrath, I'm going to do what? I'm going to pour out my grace, my long-suffering. And Paul, Saul of Tarsus, you're the first guy in. You're the first one. You're going to be the pattern. Okay? Now, come back with me to Matthew chapter 3. Again, there's only one type of wrath here, folks. Paul n- does not say anywhere we're saved from the Lord's day, Jacob's trouble, man's wrath, Satan's wrath. He just says what? Wrath. Because there's one kind of what? There's only one thing and that's wrath. And Paul's going to tell us you will never see this day. The Lord Jesus Christ has done some things in this interruption time period that you will never see that 70th week. There's ideas where you're going to go into it and midway we get taken out. There's some that say you get over here all the way to the kingdom and then you're raptured out and taken home. Then some say you never do. You're just part of that, you know, and all this stuff. And Paul says no. And again, we're in Romans 5. We're very early in the believer's edification process. And what are you learning? You're never going to see the wrath. Matthew 3, verse 7. This is John the Baptist. He's got everybody there. He's preaching. He's been preparing the way, the straight, the Lord's way. Here he comes, verse 6, And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, Hey, good to see you. Glad you're here. Come on down. There's plenty of room down front. He didn't say that, did he? He says what? Oh, generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the time of Jacob's trouble. Day of the Lord. He didn't say that. He says what? The wrath to come. John the Baptist is the one that coins the phrase to come. That means there's a future event, doesn't there? Verse 12. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That helps you, un- I, by the way, that verse there helps you define the word baptism. The word baptism does not always mean water. There's three in that verse. So what does that, what then does baptism mean? identification. I'm, he's going to identify a certain group of believers with the Holy Ghost, Acts 2, the 120 in the upper room. He's going to identify a certain group with fire. Watch verse 12. Whose fan is his in his hand, he will thoroughly purge the, his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with what? Unquenchable fire. So now we learn that wrath and fire go together when he's going to pour out this unquenchable fire and he's talking about the, his second coming, he's talking about the lake of fire over here and the, and the ultimate end. He's talking about wrath. Also by the way, water baptism was what it, it, water baptism is the means to flee the wrath. How does Israel saved from the wrath? By water baptism. See, you and I, we're saved, we're saved from the wrath by what? Being justified. Not water baptized, justified. Do you, do you see the difference? You, you run that thing about water baptism. You go over there to Peter, and he says, there were eight souls as eight souls were saved by water, making a reference to Noah. Well, how did they get saved from the flood? What were they in? They got in an ark. They got in a, in, a, in a vehicle. And Israel had to get into the little flock. How did you get into the little flock? By John's baptism. You follow that? Okay. Now, I did all that to go back to Romans 5. where, Because you, <laughs> you, you got to get this in your thinking here. Because what happens is... Now, as a new believer... You're not going to get, you won't get this. You're just, what, but what are you going to have? You're going to come without all of this religious baggage traped around you usually. So you're just going to come and read verse 9 and what does it say? Much more then. There's something better than just being justified by his blood. It's being what? Saved from the wrath through him. So he's going to come along and he's going to say, we're gonna. Oh, I, I got to show you this. Just remind me; I'll get there. Okay. He he's gonna come along and say, "Look, guys, because you are, verse one, being therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You all you are already justified. So when he talks about being saved from wrath, he's not talking about eternal life." He's talking about an event, the 70th week of Daniel. You've already got eternal life. You're justified. You already have that. There's a future event out there that the Lord has done some things to certify, to guarantee that not one of us will ever see or be a part of. He did some things. And that's really what Paul is getting after here. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is what I want to show you. To look at this. This is a kick in the seat of the pants. Because what it does, I, I said it last week, I got a neat little email note. I said, I'm going to kick some of your kingdoms, your idols down and some of this. And one guy, he emailed me a friend of mine. He's like, kick away, brother, kick away, you know. Because you've got to think about what's going on here. Look at 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. Now, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and Galatians are the earliest books that Paul wrote. Some say Galatians, some say 1 Thessalonians. I'm not going to argue with you. Personally, I think it was Galatians because of the content. But 1 Thessalonians is a close, it's a 1, 1A and 1B, if you will, Okay because of the content of the information. When it's fascinating to me when you read Paul's epistles as they sit in the canon and that build up that believer's edification process, then you go and look at the books that he wrote in the, in the Acts period and Galatians answers one of the first attacks on the message on a believer, and that is the addition of the law to grace. That's one of the first attacks. Sure, you're saved by grace, but now you've got to go live under the law of Moses. And what does Galatians do? It says, thanks for playing that game. But the second attack is on your future hope. And what does Thessalonians deal with? That future hope. So Thessalonians, when Paul sits and writes Romans 5, which is Acts 21, okay, 1 Thessalonians has already been circulated amongst the local churches. So when you read Romans 5 and he says, We've been saved from wrath, the, the scriptural issue of what that wrath is has already been taught and established. Do you follow? Okay, you understand that? So historically, Thessalonians is already in people's possession when they get Romans. In the scriptures, in the writings. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians has to do with something about our rapture, that event, and then the issues of the 70th week of Daniel. Those are in every chapter they deal with it. Verse 10 And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which Delivered us from the wrath to come. What are we to do today? We're to wait. We're waiting for who? For him to come back, right? But notice how that verse ends there. Delivered. Past tense. You have already been delivered from the wrath to come. Again, which wrath? 70th week. That's the wrath. He's not talking about in time, in life, you know, have an easy cushion Christian life. Not at all. He's talking about what? Seventieth week of Daniel. Come over to chapter 5. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our lord jesus christ have not have not done what appointed do you have an appointment i appointments i had appointment friday okay with the doctor's office they called uh, that was the other doctor's office she called and said you know hello i said hello and they said you know yes we need to talk to charles and i said i've already voted please leave me alone. She goes, no, Mr. Jordan, this is the doctor's office. (laughs) We're trying to confirm your appointment. I'm like, oh, okay, then yes, I will be there. But what do I have? I have an appointment. I have a set time, don't I? Notice what that verse says. For God hath what? Not appointed us. To what? To wrath. That verse, by the way, gets used by the prosperity people to say, see, if you just do what God says for you to do, then you're going to have a life of ease because he didn't appoint you to wrath. And the problem is, is then you go do what they say to do, and guess what happens? It's still broke. It's still broke. You go broke. Yeah. What ha- life doesn't get easier. Sometimes it gets harder. See? You see, we are delivered. We're not appointed. It's not on our calendar It didn't make it to the Google calendar. Now, look, by the way, draw your eye up to verse 5. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the what? You know what we are on God's calendar? We're the day. We're daylight. By the way, this is referred to as night. Keep reading that verse. Uh, We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Isn't that interesting? See, this is in Scripture, anytime you read about nighttime, it's usually tribulation, trouble time. We're back to verse 9. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Obtain salvation. Saved from what? Salvation. That word's, again, got to be careful. It has a lot of different meanings to it, doesn't it? There's a past. Your justification, past salvation. There's a present salvation right here in time, where you're able to get through life and He's equipped you through His grace to common demand, to get down through. We didn't finish reading 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, but the next section says, But God is faithful, who will make a way for you to escape, that you should be able to bear it. See, you're escaping, it is bearing it. Thanks, Lord. <laughs> You know, so you have a present salvation, but then you have a future salvation. We call that glorification. Come over to 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. Here's what we're, by the way, each of Paul's epistles link to the next epistle. So Romans will link into 1 Corinthians, Romans 16. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 9, that's the link into to 2 Thessalonians 1, because we're going to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we being saved from? The wrath to come, Second Thessalonians 1.8, and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. There it is, born out his wrath. It's coming. You're not going to see it. Come over to chapter 2. Chapter 2, he gives a whole long line and list of the, the life and the career of the Antichrist. Verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that the man of sin, that's the, that's the Antichrist here, Revelation 6. The man of sin. That's the first half of the week. That's his career. He's a politician. He's there, and uh, be, be revealed the son of perdition. In the midst of that week, he is cru- he's he's assassinated. he's set out in state for three days. On the third day, he rises up. Resurrection up, the the king, the beast of the bottomless pit comes in, resurrects him. Then he goes there in verse number 4, who opposed and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He sits there and says, I'm God, I'm the guy, here I am. And people are falling for that that guy, hook, line, I almost called him something else. But that hook, line, and sinker there, and you know what? Look at verse 13. But we are, what? bound, constrained, bound to give thanks alway, oh, not always, alway. in every situation, not all the time, but in every situation, to, go, to give thanks always to God for you brethren, be beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning, Chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. From the beginning. The beginning of what? Well, it isn't back here. Because what were you back there as a Gentile? Without strength, ungodly, without Christ, without God, no hope. From the beginning of what? The dispensation of grace. You're going to obtain salvation. Salvation from what? All that mess back up there in 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That's the context. By the way, you know how you know it's not justification? Because of verse 14. Whereunto he called you by what? Our gospel. How were you called? By by Paul's gospel. How were you justified? By Paul's gospel. Because, go back now to Romans 5. Because you are justified... Again, I hope, I hope you catch what's happening here. <laughs> now, the edification process, you're not in Thessalonians yet, but that book is circulating when this book is written. So he doesn't have to say four more chapters of defining what wrath is. You already have that to help define, okay? 5.9, much more then being now justified by his blood. you Folks, you're justified. That is a present possession. You got it. You don't have to live to get it. You don't have to work to get it. You get it because by faith you trusted in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. It's yours. But because you have that, you have an equipping in the present moment to get through the tribulations of life, verse 3, 4, 5. But also, you have this much more of, hey, I'm not even going to see the wrath out there that was supposed to, that wrath was supposed to have been poured out right there on Daniel's timeline. The cutting off of the Messiah, then bam, it was supposed to come. That 70th week was supposed to have been over here. That's why I'm going to do it in yellow. Should have been there. But what did the Lord do? Something Daniel didn't see, extended a year. Lord didn't, Daniel didn't see that. Well, then God didn't know. Yeah, but the Lord is God. They knew the plan. They just, it wasn't time to show Daniel. I don't think about it. He interrupted that. You know, the Lord is always delaying stuff. He's also, by the way, the Lord of second chances. Give Israel one more chance. That's Acts 1 to 7. Much more then. Now how are we saved? Much more then. We shall be saved from wrath, number one, through Him. See that? Verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved, how? By His life. Now, it's okay if you want to say that through him and by his life is the same thing, because they're similar. But that's not what Paul's saying here in the text. Come come back with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, Again, with the reminder that 1 Thessalonians is floating, it's circulating out there while Paul's writing Romans. All right? So the Romans, the saints at Rome, are already aware of 1 Thessalonians, by the way, they are already aware of a lot of what Paul's teaching here because he's talking to the saints. 1 Thessalonians 4. What Paul's going to do now in setting out of how you're saved through him and by his life is he's going to set in now the guarantee that you'll never see the wrath. 1 Thessalonians 4. Here's the through him. Here's point number one, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. The largest denomination in the world. Ignorant brethren. Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? How does he bring them with him? In what? In resurrection. That's what we're talking about. For this we say unto you. By the word of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Paul will say, this is my advice. This isn't the word of the Lord. This is my advice. Yet, it's in Scripture, so really, who is it? (laughs) It's the word of the Lord. But when he says the word of the Lord, the the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you my word on this. I am personally guaranteeing to you that this is what's going to happen at the end of the dispensation of grace. What does he say? That we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And these are great words, but notice something. Notice the through him, the personal attention. I give you my word, then in verse 8.16, for the Lord, what? Himself. When the Lord collects up Israel, he sends the angels out to get them. He comes back personally for you. You know why? You know why the difference? You're his body. You are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. You belong to him. Now, Israel belongs to him, but they're they're not yet his flesh yet. (laughs) They've got their program to work down through. So he comes back what? Personal, personal attention. He's going to come back the same way he showed up to uh, Paul on the road to Damascus. Suddenly, noisily, boom, get you. The Lord himself, this has been called the climactic evacuation. See, I mean, bam. We're We're reunited with him. We're reunited with our loved ones who've died in Christ. The Lord himself, through him, his personal involvement. First you have his word, and then you have him. So you have a guarantee, don't you? You got a certification that, guess what, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. How do you know that? Well, look at what he did to Israel. Did he do to Israel everything he said he would do to Israel? Yeah. Yeah. That's why studying Israel is kind of important. Because his word is what? You know, those two immutable things about God the first one is he cannot lie, Titus 1. He's not going to lie to you, he's going to tell you the way it is. It's very interesting, also, by the way, just kind of Paul never says, I can't wait to get to heaven. You know what Paul says? I can't wait to see my Savior. Titus 2, he says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior. Absent from the body and present with heaven? No, present with the Lord. He never says, I can't wait to get to heaven. He says, I can't wait to see my Savior. Isn't that interesting? We say, can't wait to go to heaven. He never says that. He says, I want to see the one who loved me and died for me, my Savior. That's the one I want to see. So through him, his personal involvement. Then in Romans 5, verse 10, it's by his life. Come over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. So when you... Think about this. Paul is, first of all, the wrath, 70th week of Daniel. That's what he's talking about. You and I will never see him. We will never be a part of this because we're going to be hauled out, one, through him. And then two, by his life. Now, when Paul talks, look at Colossians 3, look at verse 4 when christ who is our life shall what appear then shall we also appear with him in glory when paul talks in that verse about christ who he's our life he is not talking about galatians 220 he's not talking about a present situation he's not talking about our position presently in christ Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. He's not talking about living now. Galatians 2.20 covers that. What's he talking about here then when he says, Christ, who is our life? Well, what does verse 4 say? When Christ shall what? Appear. So he's talking about resurrection life. He's not talking about getting through the everyday details. He's talking about, hey, our future life. It has to do with what? Being resurrected. When when the Lord's going to return, those that are dead in Christ are going to be what? Resurrected, raised up, changed. Corruption puts on incorruption, 1 Corinthians 15. If you're walking the earth... I tend to agree with one of the brothers. He said, I'd rather be walking than go through that death thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather be alive when the Lord comes back. I said, I don't know if you've got much of a choice in that matter. (laughs) But if you're alive, mortal puts on what? Immortality. So when he talks about our by his life, we're talking about resurrection. You have the details of everyday life. He's talking about future resurrection where Jesus is going to raise up. He's going to evacuate his body before the events of wrath. And you know what? It's a done deal. You come over, you're in Colossians, flip back to Philippians 2. You see, folks, we will possess his resurrection life. We will never see the wrath. Uh, You got Philippians 2. Run back to Romans 8 first real quick. Romans 8. You know, it's fascinating. Jesus Christ only experienced wrath one time at Calvary. He He took on our wrath. The second death he took, but he also took the wrath, that pouring out of vengeance, indignation of God on his enemies. He paid for that at Calvary. And if you're in Calvary, so you're in Christ, he has already experienced your wrath on your behalf. You'll never do it. You'll never experience that. And that's wonderful. That's what Paul's getting at in Romans 5. So he says, sit down, shut up, relax, and just be who you are, man. Learn this stuff. Okay. Look at Romans 8. Look over, if you will, at verse 29. Verse 29, 829. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see that firstborn? Firstborn how? He ain't the first man to ever be born. Firstborn in what? Resurrection. He's going to give us the same type, Philippians 3, of glorified body that he gets. Philippians 3, verse 20, For our conversation is in heaven... From whence also we look for going to heaven. No, for what? For the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I just, I just, man, Paul never says, I'm looking to go to heaven, man. He says, no, I'm looking for my Savior. Verse 21. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his, what? Glorious body. According to the working whereby he is able to even subdue all things unto himself. And we get this New body, so then we can go out here into those, that government of the heavenly places and rule and reign and do. But we get what kind of body? A new body, a glorious body. A body that will function in whatever realm we are in, here on the earth or in the heavenly places. And how do you know that? Because when you go look at his resurrection body, he functioned in both realms. Come back to Romans 5. Think, of, uh, think about this. Let's say we get over here, we get our new body, and we got to still go through the wrath. What's going to happen over here? There's a lot of death, isn't there? But if you got the glorious body, you can't get touched. Now, you don't go through wrath, but... Again, some of the guys say, you know, you do go and you do, but you got another layer of protection there, don't you? You got a new body, man. (laughs) So, anyway, Romans 5. We are saved through him, his, his word, his personal involvement, and by his life, the issue of resurrection. And the church, the body of Christ, is going to be taken out way before wrath ever starts. So when you come to verse 11, in light of understanding where we're talking about. We'll have to do this next week because the time's gone. And we begin to think about this verse. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now Received the what? The atonement. At one meant. That word helps you define. The atonement. You and I have all of these protections against going through the wrath. When do we have it? Now. Present possession. Right now. He's not talking about justification here. Usually we use that verse to tune for, hey, you've got the atonement now. 5.1's already settled that issue. Because we're talking about what? Much more than being saved from what? Wrath. Okay? Think about Israel. And their atonement. They don't get it till they get over here. What does Israel have to do? They got to go through the wrath. They haven't done that yet. We'll go back in the Old Testament we'll show you. We'll look at reconciliation. We'll look at atonement. And that issue of atonement, you got to go through the sacrifice. They haven't gone there yet. They have to still go through that. You and I, we've already got it. We had someone else experience that wrath on our behalf. Okay? So if you will just remember, 511 atonement is dealing with that issue of the wrath in verse 9 and 10. Okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and the look at it here, the study of it, the considering it. And then the rejoicing of understanding that you have said it so that we will never, 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 never experience the 70th week of Daniel. That we'll be home with you because of your personal involvement, your word given to us, but also because of the issue of resurrection that's ours. In your name we pray. Amen.